This morning, our text will be verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. We'll read that in just a moment. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. God is amazingly, amazingly faithful. The year before last, we had a very, very dry summer, and I remember very clearly praying for rain. Speaking of God's faithfulness, He has continued to answer our prayers more than we could ever think or imagine by way of blessings from heaven. <clears throat> Jesus paid it all. Matt, thank you and the rest for leading us before the throne in worship, just to ponder, to just pause. Why are you here this morning? I just need a little bit to get through the week. No, no, let me remind you, Jesus paid it all. My job this morning is not to get you through the week, it's to prepare you for eternity. Let me remind you that you... And I have a life that is a blip on the screen in light of eternity. 78.7 years on average and we will stand before the Lord. And what we need to remember more than anything else when we meet the Lord is that Jesus paid it all. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? We have a great text. There's a lot here. You're right. There is a lot of ground to cover. So we need as much time as possible. Let's go before the throne of grace and ask for God's help this morning as we listen and learn. Father, we come before you and we are, I am just, we're thrilled at your goodness. We're all struck by your power, your sovereignty. That, Lord, since the very foundations of the earth were set, you have arranged for this, this group to be here in this place on this day to hear your word. Our prayer together, my plea this morning is that your spirit would descend and speak to hearts. Lord, comfort hearts that need to be comforted, quicken hearts that need to be quickened. Father, we just pray that you would be glorified first and foremost. Personally, God, I just ask that, that you would remain the focus this morning, that you would be glorified, that you would grant me clarity of thought and mind and speech. And Father, that if there is an individual that is sitting here that is listening to this message this morning that does not know Jesus, that does not know the price Jesus paid for our sin, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, we need you. I need you. I would ask, Lord, that you would direct us, guide us, lead us in any way you see fit. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> we get to pause here a little bit uh, in between a couple series, and I just want to examine where we are as a church, Big Woods Bible Church. I, I believe in all honesty, um, God has blessed us, continues to bless us. We are in exciting times. In a couple weeks, we receive seven new members into leadership. Uh, we have a baptism coming with several others 
expressing interest to publicly declare their faith. At last I counted, I don't know, but I think we have at least three families that are expecting new little ones um, in the months to come. Um, we have a team that is preparing to just be the hands and feet of Jesus as they continue to serve in Guatemala. We pause here in this what, first Sunday of June, and we know summertime is quickly coming, and yes, we need a break. I think we need a break at times from school and from classes, right, kids? I think you would agree with that, right, teachers? You agree with that? But what I want to remind you this morning is that we don't take a break from Christ. We don't take a break from the church. We certainly, certainly do not take a break from what God has called us to do as a church. We continually have before us what our vision to build relationships. That work always continues on. To build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know in order to accomplish the vision, we have to stay rooted and grounded in the word. I so appreciated the message, as I know many of you did, that Pastor Aaron preached last week on how important it is to know that Sunday mornings are not enough. I love that. He said, and I quote, that you can't delight in what you do not know. We're to meditate on the word of God. We're to memorize the word of God. And he quoted one who said, what, my friend, you can be busy as a termite in your church and perhaps have the same effect, but you will not grow by means of activity. You'll grow by means of meditating on the word of God. That is by going over it again and again in your thinking until it becomes part of your life, end quote. That's why we give such attention to this word as we seek to accomplish what God has called us to do together as a local church in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania in 2019. One of my favorite authors in the New Testament is the Apostle Peter. He developed quite a, um, quite a appreciation for the taste of shoe leather by putting his foot in his mouth on more than one occasion. I think we can all identify with that. And he gives to us some simple instruction for us this morning that I want to present to you as we are what? We're walking through the doorway of another summer. First Peter chapter 4. We pick it up in verse 7. Here's our text this morning. <clears throat> the end of all things is at hand. Excuse me. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him, Belong glory 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have friends that own a beach house in Cape May, New Jersey. It's about a two, two block walk to the beach. And as you walk to the beach, there's a stone um, wall. And on that stone wall is a bronze plaque. And on that bronze plaque, it says this, and I quote, On this very spot in 1897, nothing happened. You know, at times, we kind of feel like that, right? Like today, June the 2nd, 2000. Let let me remind you that as followers of Jesus Christ, there's never a day that nothing happens. Let, let Let me repeat that. As followers of Jesus Christ, there is never a day in God's sovereign plan for your life. There's never a time where nothing happens. Every day is important. This is the day that the Lord has made. That God has designed you and God desires for you to impact others, to establish relationship, to pour your life into the lives of others. So the gospel, what, goes forward. So the kingdom of God is extended. Peter gets this, and I think that's why he begins with what? The end of all things is at hand. What exactly does that mean? The end of all things. This is not, be assured, this is not a doomsday message. Okay? There's not a guy with long hair um, walking around wearing a robe down the street with a, a sandwich sign that says what? The, the, the world is coming to an end. It's not what we're talking about here. <clears throat> the word end here is never used in the New Testament as a chronological end where everything just stops but rather what it is it's a message of fulfillment peter is referring directly to the fact that god's perfect plan as it is being unfurled before us day after day is nearing completion it's referring to the final consummation of christ's kingdom at his return therefore we are to acknowledge and live every day with a sense that peter gets of urgency. Every day matters. So time is short. And so Peter writes with this style. What's interesting as well by spending any time and listening and learning from Peter is that Peter learned from what? Peter learned from whom? The best. Jesus, Jesus himself, the ultimate communicator, the greatest teacher was the one who taught Peter and the other disciples. We know that although Peter at this moment is speaking and writing with a sense of urgency, when he spent time with Jesus, especially early on, Jesus seemed to always take his time. He never really seemed to be rushing anywhere. With his disciples, they would sit sit on long side of the Sea of Galilee, and, and they would linger in conversation. It was commonplace to have meals together, to sit around a fire, to take a quiet stroll through a garden and, and just enjoy God's what, creation and conversation. 
But we know that there was a, a turn in the tone of Jesus' ministry as what? As the time of the cross was getting closer and closer. We know that that, that sense of calm did in a sense those very few hours translate into a sense of urgency with the ministry of Jesus. And Peter learned that. And so Peter lives with that moment of what? Knowing the end of all things is at hand. It can completely change your perspective. When you and I live with an understanding of urgency, the end of all things is at hand. It constantly impacts what we should be involved in, what we should not be involved in. When we live with this idea of the end of all things is at hand. It consistently reminds us what you should be committed to. What you should spend time with. <clears throat> what you should invest in. And what you should not be committed to. Therefore, we are to live our entire lives knowing what is important and what is unimportant. What is relevant and what is irrelevant. People spend so much, so much time and effort and money and energy and attention on things that just do not matter. Just last week we were in Maine, <clears throat> excuse me, for um, Wendy's dad's funeral. <clears throat> My voice, forgive me. And I remember we lived in Maine for a number of years that there was a man who was building his dream house. He had come up from out of state, lots of money, and he had worked literally for years to build this unbelievable log house on top of a hill. It had a, 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 a scenery. It looked out over five different lakes. And he worked year after year after year on that perfect dream house. And just as that house was finished, he died of a heart attack was never able to move in. Now, I think about that, that that's the way that a lot of people are, are, are living their lives. So much focus and attention and time and, and resources on what, what, what really matters. The few years we have here or the foreverness of living with eternity. Peter, in a sense, gets this message. <clears throat> and he speaks loud and clear. And he's a practical man. He's not necessarily scholarly. Peter doesn't speak, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with sophistication. He doesn't wax eloquent as others do. But he gives to us kind of a, a three-point plan here on what we can do to stay on track and on task in light of living with a sense of urgency, in the light of eternity. Number one is this. <clears throat> we stay on track by being self-controlled and praying faithfully. We stay on track by being self-controlled and praying faithfully. Now, what you think about when time is urgent? You ever been in a moment like, do we call nine one one or not? It's like that sense of emergency. What is generally your first response? How do you respond to that? All of a sudden, your your pulse starts to race. Your palms sweat, and there's a sense what that we panic. Time is urgent. Every second counts. It's easy for us to panic in those moments. A friend of mine um, uh, played football at the Naval Academy. Um, he became a pilot in the Navy, and now he flies for Southwest. 
<clears throat> he's like a captain, like the cool guy in the left seat. And what, what is amazing, if you ever spend any time in an airplane, that sometimes you, you hit a pocket of turbulence, of air, and the whole plane just kind of shudders and shakes. And unless you do that for a living, almost every one of us, <gasps> there's a sense like, <gasps> right? And the captain generally comes over the um, intercom, and it sounds like he's laying on the beach with, a, with, a, with an iced tea in his hand. I mean, his whole thing is shaking. And he's like, yeah, we're going to be a few minutes here. Don't worry. Just put your seatbelts on. We'll have you in safe. I remember asking BJ, who flies with Southwest. I'm like, ah, like, what's the secret? What are you guys doing up there? Like, why is it always? You really have a nice tea? Or what? Well, like, what is it? I remember he said this. He said, he said the, 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 the response at any moment. He said, you just have to know your surroundings. And do what you've been trained to do. And I thought about that. Just know your surroundings. Know the situation, the condition around you, the circumstances. And just do what you've been trained to do. You see, when time is short. When the matter is pressing. When the days are urgent. We want to panic. However, in this text... We are told what not to do that. Instead, it actually says what? Be self-controlled and sober. That word sober does not mean not drunk. Okay, it's not that type of soberness. Sober literally means to be self-controlled and it means to be self-restrained or sober-minded. The um, New King James Version says be serious and watchful. The NIV says be clear-minded and self-controlled. If there was language today that we would use in that moment, Peter probably would say something like this, hey, just stay cool. The day is urgent. What? Chill. That's language that we would use today. We get this. As we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he has paid it all, we are to be in complete control of our mind, of our hearts, of our entire bodies. We're to know our surroundings. We're to be controlled by being calm and think clearly with what we have been trained and taught to do. Know our surroundings. We live in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. I mean, there's New York, D.C., Philly, and Lock Haven, right? That's kind of the way that we think of it. We have, what, about 10,000 people. I know some of you are shocked by that. According to a census, it's 9,284. They did count a few dogs, I think, in there. In the surrounding communities, the big metropolis of Mill Hall, and Lamar, and Woolrich, and Avis, that with the, with the university, that number swells to about 15, almost 20,000 people. Can you believe that? But what's interesting is that the overwhelming majority, and you and I know this for fact, are unchurched. Not only the overwhelming majority unchurched, they're uncaring about what takes place after that 78.7 years. Most people don't give a rip. We know that we live in a community that has higher than national averages when it comes to um, drinking and driving under the influence. 
live in a community that lives with higher than national averages when it comes to uh, drug use and abuse. People dying in a little community that we live in. Adorable, beautiful community. And yet people are dying by way of diseases of despair. Where technically there's nothing physically wrong with them. But alcohol is killing people and drug abuse and suicide. This is our community. We have to be aware of that. And we can step back and, and panic. Panic. We can live with a sense of despair. Or we can what? We can do what God's word tells us to do. We can start praying on our knees specifically for your neighbor who's unchurched or uncaring. Matter of fact, James helps us with a little bit more detail as he speaks how we are to pray in James chapter 1, verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Ask with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You realize that when we pray, we are to, to know that prayer must be offered with confident Trust in a sovereign God. Confident trust. Like the pilot landing his plane in distress. We know what to do and we know how to do it. When you pray, do you pray like that? Knowing that God desires that no one would ever perish, but that all would come to repentance. See, confidence, confidence in Christ brings calmness in everyday life. Confidence in Christ brings calmness in everyday life. Over four years ago, directly beneath where I am standing at this very moment, people came into this old warehouse and on the cement that is down there, they wrote, First names and initials of people that they were praying for. They would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I report to you that some of the first names and the initials are sitting in these seats this morning because people prayed with confidence that God would draw the lost Unto himself. You see, that's how Peter tells us to pray. That's how James reminds us how to pray. We stay on track by being self-controlled and praying faithfully. Secondly, we stay on track by loving other people and building relationships. I love, I love, I love Peter's word choice here. And above all, above Everything. More important than anything else. Keep loving one another. Then he adds this word earnestly. It, it means keep loving one another fervently. In Greek it's the word propanton. It means above all. Literally. It just reminds us what of the priority. The primary importance of our agape love among one another as followers of Lord Jesus Christ is to love in a way that we are eager and earnest. You go to the mission of our church 
we love God first with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love people second. Love others as much as you love yourself. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. I, I realize that we don't use this word earnest very much in our, in our kind of language today, in our verbiage. When was the last time you used the word earnest? It's just like, man, feel bad for the guy who has that name. Earnest. Fervent. But you know, it's really a great word. It speaks of, it speaks of intensity and, and determination. It speaks about something that seems to be lacking today. And that's the word passion. Keep loving. With passion. Greek, it's the word ectane. It literally means strained. And it speaks of this idea of an athlete. We have runners amongst us. Those runners who what? Who sprint to the finish line. And they strain to break the tape before anyone else. That's the idea of what we're called to do here. That's how Peter is using the word. Understand the, the situation around us is urgent. The matter is pressing. Especially in light of the fact that what churches don't seem to get along with one another. We live in a community that's been characterized horribly by church splits. Denominations that are arguing over who's more holy, who's more righteous. Churches are filled with individuals of Christians who can't get along and they backbite or slander or cut, criticize or gossip. All the while, what? The unchurched are looking in and saying, that's how they get along? We don't want anything to do with that. All the while, people are watching. Therefore, Peter gives this admonition, above all, keep straining to love one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. For some reason, as I am a sinner, my wife continues to graciously spend time with me. Why? Because for some reason, she loves me. And my wife, believe it or not, as adorable as she is, she's mastered the art of sinning as well. And yet I just want to hang around her. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, that's the idea that we're supposed to have in our straining love towards one another. Could, could I stop and ask, do you love like that? Do you really love? Well, yeah, but, but they said this. And, and the way that they looked at me, I don't really know what they were thinking, but just the way that they looked at me. And we hear things like that. I would commend to you a good little book, Learning How to Love People That You Do Not Like by Floyd McClung. I think that's really, I think that's a really accurate description that we need to learn how to love people that no longer we don't even like. I saw a t-shirt. I saw a t-shirt. It says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. You know, we kind of feel like that, don't we? But it's not true. God so loved all. The world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. Would not perish. But have everlasting love. 
Are you, are you pouring out your love? You see, this is the time, this is the season in, in the summertime to what? Maybe it may not be the formality, but invite your neighbors to sit around your campfire at night and love on them. Invite someone to a picnic. This is the season that we do it. You don't know someone from your very own church? Then introduce yourself. And invite them over and get to know them. We stay on track by loving other people and building relationships. Thirdly and finally, we stay on task. This is our task by using our gifts for His glory. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As each has received a gift. There's, there's very little doubt that every single one of us, at some level, struggle with perhaps our own insufficiency. We, we kind of realize maybe we're not as gifted as someone else out there. And we do struggle, understandably, with, with the areas of our insufficiency. Why? Because we are insufficient. But you do not have permission to wallow in your insufficiency. See, there's a big difference between struggling with it, because we are, but we are not allowed ever to wallow. I have no idea what the Greek word is for that one. You can't just like, just whine. I just can't. I just can't sing like these people up here. And we just wallow in it. We can't wallow in our insufficiency. Why? Because of God's grace, through the power of His Spirit, He is actually gifted. I love to receive gifts, as do you. And you're like, thank you so much. And it's even wrapped beautifully. I love the bow that coordinates with the paper. Good idea. And we receive a gift. God is gifted in His grace to each one of us. The ability to extend what? His kingdom for His glory. We see the list of gifts in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We can't, we can't look and read that right now, but basically it falls, all of the spiritual gifts basically fall into two major categories. A, there's speaking gifts, and B, there's serving gifts. And Peter begins here with instruction to those who have been given speaking gifts with a clear qualification. Whoever speaks, you open up your mouth and you better speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Again, that word oracles is not something that we use today a lot, but it means the very words of God. How, how humbling, humbling has it been for me to ponder on this this week. I was sitting with a group of men, as I do on Friday mornings, and, and we were looking at this text. And one of my brothers challenged us, so, so what is this text? What is it that you can learn and, and glean and take away? And how does that text impact your life? And I was speaking. And it took me like two minutes to kind of explain. I just need to be more careful with the words I choose. And he said, well, it took you a long time to say that. But that's a good reminder. Just be careful with the words that you choose. Use words that only God would use. There is um, 
delight in the law of the Lord. There's only one way to know what words God would use unless we are familiar with the very words of God. Correct? So if you and I are to speak, if you've been given a speaking gift, you teach, you lead, you preach in some capacity, in some context, then then you have to be familiar with the word of God so that what comes out of your mouth matches his words and not your own words. Yeah, but yeah, but I've got some really good thoughts on that. I've got some really good ideas on that. Yeah, but I, I've got no, no. Let me let me remind you. It says in First Peter as well that the word of God endures forever, as, as what flowers as as the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever, which means God's words last. Yours don't. See, see the difference there. Yeah, but I have something that I really like to add. No, hug to the truth of what God has already given to us. Think hard about delight in that. And that's what pours out of our heart first and foremost. Far more important, far more important than what you have to say is what God has to say. Moments of frustration, fear and panic. What things come out that we're like, ooh. Peter says, be careful, be careful with the words. He has another category. He says, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength or by the ability that God supplies. In order that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Serving gifts. Many of you have been given serving gifts and it's exhausting to just serve. There's very little thanks that comes back and you're to just continually serve. We were away last week. We came back. We had a house filled with company and and family and and we were greeted by people who just served us. Julie just put her, her team, I don't know how, she just puts this team into action. Did you know that our worship pastor doesn't just, worship leader doesn't just lead us in worship He actually grills and seasons asparagus better than anyone that I've ever... And I don't even like asparagus. We were were in our home and, and Tim and Doreen came in and they had smoked. Tim had worked at this art of smoking this brisket and he's slicing it the, the right way according to us. And we want to offer it. I'm like, but, but thanks doesn't seem. Just gifts to serve. That's what God has called us to do for one another. Something very, very important here is as, as we look at these two categories, I noted as well that there's not a third category. Notice that spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, they, they come in the category of A, speaking gifts, and B, serving gifts. There's no sitting gifts. I'm gifted to just sit here and allow other people come to me. No, no, there's no category for that. I looked. Doesn't exist. Which means as God has in his grace gifted you, you take that gift and you offer it to others. I love where the focus is always, always, always to remain. And we see that in this text, it's God's varied grace. We're to speak the very words of God. We're to serve with the strength that God provides. So that everything, what? God may be glorified. Notice where the emphasis is. There's a, there's a lot of talk about 
God here. And there's not a lot of talk about you and me. And that's where we're to keep the focus. Remember the importance of all of this. Remember why we do this. Why do we have a mission to love God, love people? Why do we have a vision to build relationships so God is glorified? Lives are transformed through the gospel. Why? Why, why have we been given serving gifts and speaking gifts? Why do we have a rainy day again to come in here and be reminded of this again? We did not read the verse prior to our text, but I will conclude by reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And then he begins, the end of all things is at hand. You see, the reminder is, we do this because of the gospel. Your alarm wakes you up in the morning, your phone wakes you up. Your dog licks your face. I don't know how you get up. But every single day you give up, get up, you have a renewed awareness and understanding of how the gospel of Jesus Christ, a holy God in sinless perfection, stepped into this earth, low and humble, to meet us as sinners, to suffer on the cross, to pay the price that we couldn't pay to adopt us into his own family so that we too can live in full obedience to the Lord. I think we need days like this. I think we need quiet moments to capture our thoughts that are racing, our hearts that panic, to be reminded of who we are, where we're going, why we're here, And to be reminded of all that God has done by offering us his son, Jesus, who paid it all. May we, may we this summer stay on track and on task. Take a break from school classes. You do not take a break from the Lord Jesus Christ and from the local church. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Your patience with me. I thank you, Lord, for this church and what you're doing in our midst. And I pray, Lord, that even this morning our heart has been stirred in our appreciation to you, perhaps convicted, and the need for more love in our relationship to others. But most of all, our hearts have been stirred with a renewed affection for Jesus. Oh, how we love you, but how we ask now that you would equip us and empower us with strength and patience and endurance to be the people that you choose and desire and designed us to be. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.